All right, Second Kings, starting in chapter four, we're doing we're going through the you know, Blake. We're going through the whole Bible in two years, which means we do about ten chapters a week. So we have today we're doing chapter four through fourteen, although I may not get all the way through. And the stories today, you can kind of divide them in half. Half of them are stories about Elisha, basically miracles that Elisha did. And the other half are a bunch of names of kings that all sound the same. <laughs> so which ones do you like better? <laughs> miracles. Yeah, the miracles are a lot more fun. Did you notice something about these stories of Elisha? Whenever it mentions the king, do you notice what the king's name is in these different stories of Elisha? It hardly ever gives the king's name. That's the thing that's so surprising. Now, in, in chapter 4, there is no king anyway. In chapter 5, there is a king. Um, you remember the king of, of Syria sent a letter to the king of Israel about Naaman. But um, verse 6, chapter 5, verse 6, he brought the letter to the king of Israel. Well, which king? I mean, there's a whole Nile king. Oh, you don't need to know. It's <laughs> um, yeah, you're bad in the sense of lack, lack of faith. Yeah. In chapter 6, you got the same thing, a king without a name, even though he's really prominent in chapter 7 also. Um, chapter 8, the Shunammite woman goes to appeal to the king, but you don't know who he is. Um, and then finally, halfway through chapter 8, we finish pretty much with the stories of Elisha. And we start going over with with various kings. And we don't get Elisha again until chapter 13. And here, finally, we have a name of a king. His name is um, Joash or Jehoash. It's the same name. And um, he was... Um, Yeah, he was the, the grandson of Jehu. So now, if if you look at the at your king's chart, anyone need one of these? I've got answers. Anyone else? I'm I'm hoping that everyone brings theirs with them, but otherwise, I'm happy to give mine because. I don't have an overhead for this, so you have to kind of look, look at it as we go. Um, if you look at the number of years, who was king when uh, when Elijah first threw his mantle over Elisha? Ahab. Ahab, you're right. It was Ahab. Now, if you look on the time chart, we're, we're talking. Um, even at a very minimum, you know, if it was like the last year of Ahab, and if, if he died the very first year of Jehoash, we're still talking about uh, like 30 years. 
and more likely we, we've got you know more than that, several. You know. So we're talking multiple decades, and yet all these stories of Elijah, except for that last one when he dies, all the stories are just scrunched together in a in a matter of a few chapters, and the king is never named. So that it. It's a, it's a very separate, these stories are very separate from the history of kings. Um, my guess is that they are really scattered over the lives of several different kings. And it just, and, and basically, it doesn't matter who, who was the king, the story's really about Elisha. And I wouldn't even guarantee that they're coming in order. I, I think that they are, they're more ordered in a topical uh, arrangement rather than the chronological arrangement. Um, one obvious topical arrangement would be that the ones that deal with individuals come first, and the ones that deal with the nation come later. A little bit overlap there, but but for the most part, that that seems to be the way it goes. Uh, can you think of any other time in the Bible when you have this many miracles being done by one man? That's someone's mind thing of too is Jesus. Yeah. And and that's very interesting when we think about it because Elijah comes before Elijah, of course, and Elijah foreshadows who in the New Testament? John the Baptist. Because you remember Jesus even said he was Elijah. <laughs> uh, in the book of Malachi, I think it was, it was predicted that you know, I'll send Elijah before the great before the great day of the Lord. And it was John the Baptist. So Elijah foreshadowed John the Baptist. And we talked about how Elijah and John the Baptist dressed very similarly, that they were very stern, very similar. So Elijah did some miracles. John the Baptist, as far as we know, didn't do any. So then that means the guy that comes after Elijah would naturally foreshadow Jesus. And I think that's exactly what, what is intended here. And some of the some of the miracles even that Elisha does are obvious foreshadowings of the miracle of Jesus. Can you name me any like that? Well, how about the time when they didn't have enough food for everybody? It was in a famine. They had like twenty loaves of bread, and they were going to feed a hundred people. And Elisha said, "Well, go ahead and feed them. You'll have food left over." Now, not as great as Jesus feeding five thousand. You know, with <laughs> with even fewer loaves. But it obviously was a foreshadowing of it. The raising of the dead that he, that he did, again, now Elijah did that too, but again, a foreshadowing of, of some of the miracles of Jesus with his raising of the dead. Well, the they Jesus Well, that's interesting, yes. Yeah, but, the multiplication of oil and water and wine. Yeah. The, um, the <laughs> miracles were were always intended to teach a lesson. They weren't just intended to be you know, just some basic thing. Um, and some years ago, I, I actually preached a series on on Elisha. We went through different sermons each of these miracles. We looked at the details on which I'm not going to do this morning. Uh, but 
in each case, something was being taught. For example, chapter 4, and this is Satan's 4. Um, <coughs> the very first miracle was the one that John just mentioned, the uh, multiplication of the, of the oil. And, and you had a very worthy person needing help. Who was she? She was the wife of one of the sons of the prophets. Yeah, wife of one of the sons of the prophets. And the sons of the prophets is, is a an organization that didn't exist, that was never mentioned outside of kings. Um, mostly in the, in the days of Ahab and, and, and a little bit after that. So, there wasn't just one of them. There, there were different, you could call them schools. Even, but they were, they apparently were little communities of, of people who were very much devoted to the Lord. They were in the northern kingdom where service of Jehovah was not uh, encouraged for a good part of this time. A lot of them got killed because they were prophets. And then they, it appears that they lived in these old communities together and they, and they were devoted to studying God's Word. Elijah would go around teaching them. Probably Elijah did that before that. Uh, and sometimes they would get special uh, assignments from Elijah or sometimes even directly from God himself to, to do things. And so here you have this widow. Her, her husband had been part of this, these sons of the prophets. Then he died. Uh, now, and the, these the, these guys, I don't think they live like monks, where you know they go around begging everybody to give them money and things like that. They, I think they had jobs and all that. But in their little community, they may have done the, they may have worked together in their, in their job. I don't, we don't know a lot about how it worked. But her husband died, and, and, and the source of income for the family is gone, and, and yet they owed money. And what was going to happen because of that? Yeah, her two children were going to be sold as slaves to pay the debt, which is, you know, we think, wow, that's pretty serious, you know, because, you know, people are there all the time, you know, owing more than they can pay, and they just go bankrupt, and that's all, it's all over. But um, bankruptcy laws are really very, very new. Only about a century ago was when they were, those bankruptcy laws were past. And before that, um, people would go to debtor's prison if, if they couldn't pay because slavery had been out, outlawed. But in the Old Testament, they could be, you know, people could and were sold uh, to pay debts. And you may even remember a, a parable that Jesus told in the New Testament that had that aspect in it. Do you remember the guy that owed the 10,000 talents? And the king said, we're going to sell you and your family to pay this debt. And you know, the guy begged him, you know, please, you know, give me some time and I'll pay back. And he forgave the debt. Well, it's all based upon something that, that was known in, in, in that society. If she's going to lose her children, it's going to be very sad. And she's lost her husband, she's going to lose her children. So, what did Elisha use to supply her need? Where did he get the oil? She had some. Right. And, and, and that's an interesting thing about the, the, this story, and that's what I'm, what I'm saying. Each of these miracles are teaching something. In this case, the lesson is God uses what we have, but He uses it in ways that are vastly beyond anything that we can imagine. And, and, and I think the same thing's true today. God is still using what we have. Well, he, God, God is not pleased at all when we sit back and say, well, I, you know, I don't have anything. I can't help God uh, in God's work. God wants us to step forth in faith with what we have and then He'll supply 
what's lacking to, to make it accomplish things we would have never dreamed of. And in this case, uh, that little bit of oil she had left, and I think it may have been a, a kind of an expensive oil, a northern oil instead of just cheap uh, lamp oil. Um, she was able to fill up all these other empty vessels and had enough to pay the debt and live on the rest. It was all from the little bit that she started with. So you have a lesson of God providing for his poor widow, you know, his servant. Uh, you have a lesson of, of God using what we have. Um, and each of these miracles has aspects of that uh, in it, some more obvious than others. Yeah, Tracy. That's kind of like the, um, in uh, John. I think it's chapter two or three when he filled. They had no wine, and he filled up. Filled up to get jars. And they got mixed. They filled up. They had to bring. They had to bring jars, and they had to fill them with water. Yes, it is. It's very similar to that. Yes. And and when they got done, they had the wine they needed to finish their wedding feast. Yes. Yeah. It, there, there are there are a lot of resemblances, and I, I don't think it's accidental between the miracles of Elisha and the miracles of Jesus. I, I should have spent a little bit of time looking at our outline. Um, we are in this section here, Elijah and Elisha, uh, and we we talked about how the books of Kings are basically a downhill story. Um, they, they begin at the very peak of, of Israel's uh, kingdom with the reign of David when it, it was... Uh, they, they conquered all the enemies around and they were well off and they were doing righteousness. They were obeying God. And by the end of Solomon's reign, it was all... That he was already throwing it away with building these idol temples for his foreign <coughs> And then with his son, you, it, God splits the kingdom in two and they, they both go down, although not quite at the same speed. And so in, in the, this morning's lesson, we're covering... We're, we start out in the reign of Ahab and we end up uh, in the reign of the guy, uh, the dynasty that took over after Ahab, which was Jesus' dynasty. And, the, and that was really the greatest dynasty in terms of political power of the whole Northern Kingdom, uh, Ryan G. Uh, as we'll, we'll see. I don't know if we did that part this morning. And then uh, in, in this outline, at the end of chapter 17, Israel goes into exile, so they're gone. And next week you'll be reading all the rest of the, of the book of Second Kings. So you'll cover Israel's exile, and then you'll cover the downfall of, the, of what's left of Judah, and then finally at the very end, Judah goes into Babylon. Okay, uh, we can look at this um, at the map just a little bit because we've got uh, the city of Shunem that's in our story. The Shunemite woman. Shunem is is here a little bit north of Jezreel. And I don't know why Elisha was going past Shunem because uh, Elisha he spent time in Mount Carmel. And he apparently had a house in Samaria, which was the capital. One story, he's in Dothan, but I don't think he lived there. I think he was on a, he was traveling and, and would just stay the night there, or maybe a few nights. Um, 
So I, I don't know why, but he had reason to go by Shunem every so often. And, and this woman, who apparently was fairly well to do, what'd she do for him? Is that the room that she built a house? A little, well, not a house. Yeah. Room. Build a room on the roof. Yeah. Um, the roof was, was kind of their fort. They, they had an outside stairway up to the roof to go up there and um, uh, kind of enjoy the breeze in the evening and, and you could be by yourself. Um, but she she gave part of that roof over to to Elisha and, and actually went to some extent, although it seems pretty primitive to us in those days to provide uh, a room for a man and his servant along with a bed, a table, and a chair. Um, that's quite a bit, really. Um, this, these were very simple at times. And so he would use it. If, you know, whenever he'd go by there, he'd stop by and use it. And then uh, he felt like he wanted to reward her. And you get a little bit of a hint about what the time period was and that he was willing to speak something good for her where? But to the king. Yeah, so um, probably not Ahab. <laughs> we're probably looking later than Ahab here. And my guess is that we're into Jehu or one of Jehu's descendants. But she didn't need that. She was perfectly happy where she was. And finally, what was the reward he gave her? Sure. Yeah, from God, of course. This came from directly the child. And then later on, raised the child up from the dead. She, she, I guess, brought back to his mind the fact that she hadn't asked for it. <laughs> he, he, and she, and when he offered it to her, she said, "Don't, please, don't deceive me." <laughs> so even though this child was several years old, he was old enough to go out and be with his dad in the field, but she felt like this was still a promise from God, and so and God honored that. God restored the child. How come God didn't tell? Um, Elijah. 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 That anything about what was going on with the child? Well, who's the one doing the miracles? God or Elijah? Uh, yeah, and I think God is trying to show that. Um, it, these stories are not like legends of some wonderful, amazing superhero. That's not what they are. There's stories of what God did through His servant. And, and God's the one that knows these things. God's the, and he, he, He's the one who will tell Elisha when the time comes. So Elisha had to live like you and me. We don't know what's coming tomorrow. We don't, we don't, I mean, someone comes to us and has a problem. We don't know what the problem is in advance. You know, Elisha had to live the same way. And there were times when God would give him this extra knowledge and it was important in, in the cause of of God. But he was still an ordinary person. Yeah. Chapter 5, we've got the story of Naaman. Um, where was Naaman from? Way up here, Damascus. Uh, Jew or Gentile? Yeah. Who makes a big point of that when he retells his story later? Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. There was lots of lepers in Israel, but... Elijah didn't get sent to any of those. He only healed Naaman, the Syrian. Uh, so, you know, in the days of Elijah, we had a Gentile as well. And that, that was the lady of Zarephath, the widow of Zarephath, that uh, 
Elijah went to and, and saved her life by providing food and then raised her son from the dead. Yeah, on the yeah. map, um, yeah. is this still all Israelite territory or is it the brown or the king, the, the kingdom of Damascus? Is that, or is that the kingdom of Damascus, this site? Well, it, the borders vary. The borders vary back and forth, but uh, basically, this whole area in here would be owned by the, the Syrians. And uh, Israel is more in this area. And you remember they were, that we had Ramoth Gilead in our story where they were fighting the Syrians at Ramoth Gilead. Israel believed they owned Ramoth Gilead, and the Syrians thought they owned Ramoth Gilead. And so that gives you an idea of where the border might be. So it did shrink a lot since David's reign. Yes, it did. It did shrink a lot. It'll grow before we're done, but it shrinked a lot at this point. So we've got this great story of Naaman, and um, I'm sure you've all heard sermons on this. Wonderful story. And then you've got Gehazi, who just doesn't get it, does he? You got it, all right. Yeah. Why wouldn't Naaman take? I mean, why would Elisha take any money for from Naaman? It's God's gift. It's God's gift. Yeah. Now, Naaman, Elisha did take money from other people. You remember that those twenty loaves were a gift from somebody to him because he was a prophet. They were. They were. It says they were of the first fruits. Now, normally they they would offer gifts of first fruits to the priests at the temple, but of course when you're living in, a, in the northern kingdom that isn't an option, so they did the next best thing they could do the prophet. But here you have, Naaman wants to give money, and Elisha won't take the money. What do you think the difference is? I think this is a, I think he's, he's a Gentile, he's from the enemy, the enemy. Well, enemy. yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't make too much of that. Um, I mean, if that was really if that was really an issue, he wouldn't have healed him in the first place. But I think the problem was would Naaman misunderstand? And when Naaman first came to get healed, what was his attitude about this? Well, that the man should come out and, and greet heaven with some great. Uh, yeah, and how about how about Naaman himself? Did Naaman deserve to be healed? Well, he, he had enough he to get to uh, you see, it, you're right. Nobody deserves to be healed, but that's that was not Naaman's attitude to start with. He could pay. I mean, he was bringing talents of silver. How much is one talent worth? Seventy-five pounds. Could you live a little while on seventy-five pounds of silver? I mean, if you sold it, I would think we could. Yeah, and he had ten of these. Then he brought along. Not to mention a bunch of gold would probably equal at least the value of the silver. And uh, changes of, of clothing, we think, you know, changes of clothing, you, know, you can go to you know, Walmart and get changes of clothing pretty cheap, but these were very, very expensive changes of clothing. Uh, he could afford the best. And so the least the prophet could do is come out personally and give some attention to this guy. And of course, God in this whole process is trying to teach Naaman a lesson that no, you you can't afford the best, you don't deserve anything, 
All you can get is a free gift. What's that trying to teach us today? Salvation is by grace. That's what it's trying to teach us. We can't pay for it. It doesn't matter how many talents of silver or gold we have, we can't pay for it. That's why he had a wash and enjoy. Yeah, well, and that kind of that kind of reminds us of what in the New Testament? Baptism. Yeah, it certainly does. That was a humble way. Yeah, it was, it was a humble thing. Well, afterwards, his attitude is different afterwards. He understands, wow, there is no God in all the earth except Jehovah. But he would still like to give something to Elisha. We could say as a thank offering. But I think Elisha understood there was still this big problem of the attitude. And the safest thing to do was no, no money. It was a free gift, and that's all. And uh, Gehazi, he's missing the whole point. All he sees is talents of silver. <laughs> and and he and how much money did he end up with? Gehazi. Two talents. Two talents of silver. And notice what Elisha says at the end of, of chapter 5. Is it a time to receive money, to receive clothes, and olive groves, and vineyards, and sheep, and oxen, and male and female servants? Those two talents of silver would have bought all of that. Gehazi was rich. But he's also a leper. <laughs> he, he got what Naaman had. Mm-hmm. Uh, we look at that, and it, 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 several times in the Bible we find this where the punishment fits the crime. He's an outcast. He may be rich, but he's... Yeah, I'm sure he'd be happy to get back the money and get rid of the leprosy, but that wasn't an option. In chapter 6, the um, Elisha is giving word to the king. And, and um, Again, I don't think this is Ahab. This is one of the later kings, but his name's not given. Um, the, the king of, of Syria up here the, in Damascus is sending raiding bands. I think they're probably trying to capture the king because Elisha keeps sending word to the king, don't go there, you know, that, that's where the enemy's going to be. And the king sends spies up there and finds out, wow, he was right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and several times this happens until finally the king of Syria figures out, you know, we've got a traitor in our midst. You know, whatever I, wherever, I, whenever I tell you guys what we're going to do, the king knows, and, and that's when they tell him, no, no, it's the prophet Elijah. So <laughs> he thinks Elijah is in the army. He can go get Elijah. <laughs> and what what town was Elijah in when they surrounded it? This is in chapter 6. And I don't know where it is. Dothan? <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's in Dothan. Here's Dothan, a few miles north of Samaria. And so um, he, uh, he, strike, he asked God to strike the army with blindness. The same kind of blindness that the angels struck those men, the, those men of Sodom with blindness. They could see, but they didn't understand what they were seeing. And so they could see Elijah just fine. They could see this town. But when Elijah said, no, no, I'll take you where you want. They probably follow him along. And and I think that Elijah did live in Samaria. So he was taken into where Elijah was. (laughs) 
But wow, they must have been pretty surprised that found out they were in, in, inside the capital city of Israel, surrounded by the army of the king of Israel. And um, so Elisha had the king feed them with a nice feast and send them back, and that seemed to solve the problem for a while. Although then, in chapter seven, there's a, another battle. I don't know. I don't know what order these things come in. Um, or how much time is in between these different stories. But you have the same, same king of the, the Arabia and the Syrians, who now is not sending a raiding band. He's sending his old army, and he, he is besieging Samaria. Nobody goes in or out, and they're starving. It, it's, it's terrible. It, the, the, the story told in the chapter is... Um, is one that had been predicted in the book of Deuteronomy that it would get so bad that they would be eating their children. And this is not the only time this ever happened in the history of, of these people. Um, there's other times when the same thing happened when Jerusalem was being besieged. And God rescues them when they when it just seems like there is no rescue to be had. And it's very interesting. Is this rescue a miracle? Every we saw there. Yeah. The foreseeing of it was a miracle. But every piece of it could be very naturally explained. What did the Syrian army hear? They heard the, the sound of, of uh, an army coming down upon them. Yeah. Sure. But that could be a natural thing. There, there could be natural sounds that they would interpret that way. And as soon as they start mentioning it, everyone else starts hearing it too. And then they start running away, and wow, now we can really hear it. <laughs> and these uh, um, these guys with leprosy, it was just a perfectly natural thing for them to do what they did. You know, let's give up to the Syrians, and you know, maybe they'll let us live. Otherwise, if if they kill us, we're no worse off than we are now because we're going to starve. And, uh, and even. The king's reaction is so much like him. The day before, Elijah predicted that you know by this time tomorrow they're going to be selling food cheaper than you've ever seen it right here in this gate. He hears that. And then in the middle of the night he gets woken up and says, hey, all the Syrians have run away and they left their camp. We can go, we can go have free food. And what's his thought? It's a trap. It's a trap. Yeah, no faith. The guy has no faith at all. <coughs> wow. Um, in chapter 8, we have another mention of, of famine, the Shunammite woman and this famine. And it may be the very same famine that was mentioned at the end of chapter 4 when they were so poor they just had to go out and cut um, whatever green stuff they could find out out of the fields because they, they just didn't have enough food. And that was the time when they ended up having poison and he had to heal it. Well, in this case, um, he told the Shunammite that she needed to go away because how long was there going to be a famine? Seven years. Seven years. That's twice what it had been in the days of Elijah. Three and a half years in the days of Elijah. And where did she... She was living, you call it Shunam. Where did she decide to go? Yeah, the land of the Philistines, which is down along the coast here. And, and, um, 
whether they would have been able to grow anything, I don't know, but they certainly would have been able to import some food from Egypt, for example, because they were on the coast. And then Elisha went up to Damascus. Yeah, okay, back up. Here we go to Damascus. What was his job to do there in Damascus? Yeah, anoint Haziel to be king. Um, which Haziel helped out the matter <laughs> becoming he expedited. He expedited it. Um, and I don't know whether he would have thought of that idea if Elijah had done this or not. I think the main reason Elijah is doing this is so that people will know that what Haziel does is by God. Haziel's going to be a terrible, fierce enemy of the people of Israel. He's going to capture a lot of the people. And, and kill a lot of people. And it's all from God. That's the whole point. That's why Elijah's going there. So they'll know this is from God. He's, he's judging these people for their failure to serve Him. Failure to worship Him. Who had been originally told he was supposed to go anoint Hazel? Elijah. Yes. When he went down, remember when he went down on sort of Mount Horeb and and he was in the cave and, and there was all the, you know, the fire and all that. One of the things he was supposed to do was anoint Hazel. Well, Elijah's been carried up to heaven by now. But this is still a fulfillment of his commission because he's the one that anointed Elisha. Elisha's just finishing up Elijah's work. Okay, now that finishes pretty much the stories of Elisha except for when he dies. King was king when Elijah passed on. Uh, that was um, Jehoash. That was Israel. Yes. Yeah. Elijah was always in Israel. And you notice all, all these maps I've been showing you the northern kingdom. We're going to get to the southern kingdom here in a minute. At toward the end of chapter eight, verse sixteen, um, Jehoshaphat he mentions. Um, Jehoshaphat dies and Jehoram becomes the king. Now, on your king's chart, um, you notice there's a plus sign next to Jehoshaphat, which the, the plus sign means what? He was a good king. And he was a good king. But the one thing he did bad nearly destroyed his kingdom. What was that? He made an alliance with them. He made an alliance with Ahab. In fact, he had Ahab's daughter marry his son. And his son is going to become a king in verse 16. His name is Jehoram. Now, there's also a Jehoram in the northern kingdom, so it gets very confusing. Um, but Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram, <coughs> was married to Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. What kind of woman is going to be the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel? She 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 seems to be a lot like her mom, really. What she seems like. She kills all the king's sons. Yep, yeah, we haven't got there yet, but she will. Um, her husband was he a good king? No, because he's being led by by his wife. So Jehoram doesn't have a plus sign next to his his name. And during his time as being king, we read in verse twenty that Edom revolted from him. 
Now, when we get to Chronicles, we'll read more detail about this. There's a lot more story about it in Chronicles. But at this point, just eat and revolt. And um, he came close to getting uh, to dying in that battle. But that made it the way. And then in verse 22, Libna revolted. Now, Libna was actually just a city. But these cities all had their own leaders. And so apparently one of the cities decided, we don't like the king and we're just, we're leaving. And so they ruled, and he lost the city, the important city from his reign. Um, then he dies after not too long, I think like 88 years, and his son Ahaziah becomes king. So now Ahaziah is, um, he is then the grandson of Jehoshaphat, but also the grandson of Ahab and Jezebel. And he he's also very good friends with the northern kingdom. Um, his uncle was the one who was king in, in the northern kingdom. His non-Amalite brother. Um, so he's not doing good either. He does what his mom wants. And at the end of chapter 8, he went with his uncle. His uncle's name is Joram who was the second son of Ahab to reign. Uh, Ahab's first son, Ahaziah, died really really soon. He fell out, fell through the lattice in the upper floor, you remember, and sent to the god of Ekron to see if he's going to survive, but Elijah said he wouldn't. Well, his Ahaziah's brother, Joram, is the king. And so his nephew, Ahaziah, goes with him to battle at what city? No, they, they didn't battle with Jezreel. Um, Ramoth Gilead, yes. Let me see, Ramoth Gilead, we don't have it on this map, so. But there's Ramoth Gilead. We're, we're back up in the north again. And the battle in the Syrians of Ramoth Gilead. Who have we had battle in the Syrians of Ramoth Gilead before? Ahab. That was the time when he died, in fact. So he got shot by an arrow and it went in between the joints of his armor. And who was with him in that battle? Jehoshaphat. So now, now you have Jehoshaphat's grandson going with Ahab's son to a battle at the same place to fight the same enemy, <laughs> the Arameans. You will never learn. And Joram gets wounded. And when he's wounded, then he goes to Jezreel. That's what Tracy was mentioning, Jezreel. He, he went there to recover. This was the summer palace of the, of the kings of Israel. It wasn't the capital, but it was the summer palace. And he doesn't know it, but he doesn't have long to live. Um, chapter 9. Elijah assigned one of the sons of the prophets of Job. What was his job? Getting hurt. Well, that was back in the days of Ahab. This is a different one. This is in chapter 9. He's to go back to He's to anoint secretly. Yes. He's going to anoint the next king. This is not going to be a descendant of Ahab or of, of Joram. This is going to be a new dynasty. What's the guy's name? 
Jehu. And he's Ephraim is Gilead because they haven't finished the battle yet. Jehu is the chief general there over the whole battle. And they're fighting the Arameans. So Elisha anoints one of the sons of prophets. No, he assigns one of the sons of prophets to go and anoint Jehu. So he goes and anoints him. And then he runs off. And the the, the other commanders in Ramaz Gilead, when they hear about this, they say, hey, that's great. And they blow the trumpet. Jehu is king. But at this point, there's not much turning back. <laughs> if the word gets back to Joram, what that they've announced Jehu is king, Jehu is not long for this world. And in fact, Jehu understands it's so critical. What's he tell them to do with the gates? Don't let anyone get out of the city to tell to tell in Jezreel. Well, my guess is even if someone had gone out of the city, they wouldn't have got there in time. <laughs> what was Jehu's driving style? He was reckless. He was reckless. And that really that's really a picture of Jehu's style in general. I mean, that, that makes a good general. And it also makes a good guy to uh, seek God's vengeance on the family they have. Uh, this guy does not waste any time. He, he obviously had a, a group of, of um, chariot guys with it, horsemen and all that. You know, So he had a, a small armed force. But he surely did not have enough of an army to... Uh, uh, you know, attack um, Joram's army. I mean, Joram would have sent the entire army out, but he would have had, he would have, uh, you know, a home force to, to guard the cattle and all that. But he managed to catch Joram by surprise. Joram knew who he was. You know, and he's my my top guy. He's come back to tell me. He probably came back to say, "Hey, we've won the battle." And, and so he gives him just, you know, just a casual greeting, really. I mean, just, um, is it peace, Jehu? And it was a very typical uh, Jewish greeting. But the answer he got, let him know, how can be peace as long as the whoredoms of your mother are being practiced? That's not the way you talk to the king. <laughs> he knew he was in trouble. He quickly turned his chariot around to go back, but what happened to him? Jehu, yeah, he drew, drew his bow back with all his strength, shot him right between the shoulder blades, and it, the arrow went through his heart, and that was the end of him. Meanwhile, though, who was visiting Joram? Well, yeah, she was there, but uh, it was someone else who was. Was it the son of? It was his nephew, his nephew Ahaziah, from the southern kingdom. He and he was in his chariot out there visiting. You know, he was gonna. He came out with Joram to, to hear about this great victory, and and then he sees Joram get shot in the back, and now he's going to be next. Jehu knows who he is. He's related to the family they have. He needs to be killed too, and he managed to get farther in his chariot. I think he makes it as far as we get over. Jehu arranges for him to get killed, and they. His body gets back to Jerusalem, but he's not—he's dead by that time. And Jehu, meanwhile, doesn't waste any time. Jezebel knows her time has come. She sticks her head out the window. What does she say to, to Jehu?
verse 31. Oh, you come in peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is it, well, Zimri, your master's murderer? <coughs> now, who's this Zimri guy? Have you gone back too far? If you got one of these pages, it's on this page. Anyone know who he was? Zimri was the guy that, that rebelled against Baish and wiped out Baish's house. How long did Zimri reign? You're too high. About seven days. Seven days. <laughs> Zimri reigned seven days. So what's Jezebel trying to tell Jehu with that greeting? You're not going to last long. Yeah, you're not going to last long. Or she knows she's going to last even less. You know. I like it. She puts makeup on and does her eyes. Yeah, she's she's going to die like a queen. Yeah. So, uh, who's on my side? And some, when some guys look down, throw her down. So they throw her down. And Jehu gets all he, he gets all the people to do his dirty work for him when he can. Um, who kills the seventy sons of Ahab in the next chapter? The elders of the city. The elders who were in charge of, of taking care of these sons of Ahab. This was this was all bluff he was doing. He did not have a big enough army to besiege Samaria. But you know how he drives fast? He does everything fast. So he's barely killed the king and the king's mom. And he challenges the, the people in Samaria. said, pick, pick which, which one of those seven guys you want to be king and prepare to defend them because I'm coming. <laughs> and they, they, they melt. They just melt. You know, we're, we're not going to make anyone king. You tell us what to do. Well, you bring me those the 70 heads to Jezreel. That's what I want you to do. Well, they end up, they, they took, they, they gave them the 70 heads, but they sent them, they didn't bring them. <laughs> and I don't know what, how those those guys ended up, because um, everywhere Jehu went, he killed everybody who was part of the family they have, including all of his friends, and it says all of his great men. I, I wonder whether even the guys that obeyed him by, by chopping off their heads, whether they ended up getting killed. And they have, I don't know. And then finally, what do you do about Baal worship? Wipe them out. Wipe them out, yeah. And again, a very typical Jehu type thing. This is not... God's using the man as he was. God knew that this was the kind of man who who could do this. And he's not saying this is the way we ought to live. Because, I mean, the whole thing was done by his seat. And he wanted to grab that phone And... um, and trickery. I'm going to have a great feast to Baal. All worshippers of Baal come. Any worshiper of Baal doesn't come, you know, you're going to forfeit. I think he said you're going to die. Yes. And so he got all the priests, all the worshippers, and I'm sure they were very happy. Wow, you know, this is great. You know, just like just like before, we've got this king that loves worshiping Baal. And of course, then he, he slaughters every one of them. He's got 80 soldiers whose job is to slaughter them. You let anybody out of here alive, and you're going to die yourself. Um, so they didn't. And he wiped out Baal worship. What did he make of the temple of Baal? Yeah, it became a public uh, toilet. That, that's so he would basically desecrate Baal worship. Well, a guy like that, is he worshiping the Lord? No. 
That's right. God's using him. He, I mean, it seems like how can he be such an enemy of Baal and not be on God's side? He thought he was on God's side. He's going to worship Jehovah. He's going to worship Jehovah just like all the kings before him worship Jehovah with the golden calves in Bethel and his band. He was not loyal to Jehovah. He was loyal to Israel. And Baal was a foreign god. Kick out the foreign god. Kick out the foreign queen, Jezebel. Let's get us a, a real Israelite king. Let's have real Israelite worship. And Jehovah is the God of Israel. We'll worship Jehovah. But not the way Jehovah says to do it. Um, they're, they're not, there was not a single king in the northern kingdom that ever worshipped Jehovah the way he commanded. None of them have the little plus sign six to them on your chart. Alright, I want to bring one more guy up and then, then I've got to close. Who is the guy that rode with Jehu in his chariot? Uh, this is in verse 15. Chapter 10, verse 15. Yeah, John had the son recap. He was not an Israelite. He was a Kenite. Can you name any Kenites we've had before in our stories? Yeah, I think so. Is it Ray 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 Yeah, he was he was a son of Rechab. Jael. Jael, the guy that nailed Sisera with the tent bed. He was a Kenite. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. He was a Kenite. The reason I mention this guy, he's going to come up again. But it'll be a long time before we get there. He's in the book of Jeremiah, believe it or not. So, when we get to Jeremiah, you're going to read, you're going to read this name again and we'll mention it. So, any last thoughts before we close? Appreciate everyone's help. So.